Hi, beautiful friend. This is Claire and the Art of Life podcast. I'm really enthused to talk about this subject, which has been sort of swirling around my project for a while and um, just finding a voice for it. The anti-muse, just sort of giving it a name and a shape, a form and thinking about the multidimensionality of it, because it's something that I feel that putting this umbrella term over it and speaking organically and spontaneously to it here, I feel that this can help unlock a lot of what our problem is around our creativity and our co-creativity in particular. Um, There's a, a theme that's come up in the collective conscious and the mainstream of the inner critic in recent years, decades, and it's been like almost a fashion to speak to this critic as if it's a real thing, as if it's a, a subpersonality, a character, or maybe somebody who was particularly harsh against our creativity in whatever part of our lives, a sibling, a mother or father, or teacher, or boss, or partner. And yeah, I want to speak about what it really is that we are contending with when we have an anti-muse, and when we don't do anything about it, because like any dis-ease that settles in and that we then label and passively accept as a, an atrophying of that part of us, anything that we we put a, into a category of symptoms and then transfer all of our power and autonomy, all of our sovereignty towards an external agency to deal with. Um, in many ways, what what we do via religion, modern medicine, um, the educational systems and governance, um, we're also doing with our, our most inherent and divine creative power. It's the area of life in which the energy and truth of the thing and the power of the thing is most obfuscated. It's most profoundly inverted and reversed. And even to the point where the majority of folk who are not artists and even some who are will say, I'm not at all creative or I'm no good at this or I can't draw to save my life or I don't know anything about art. But as a disclaimer, before they say what they feel, what they feel, think or know about a piece of art that they're looking at, they have this disclaimer around what I feel. And I literally, when I was back more in the mainstream world of showing exhibitions in public spaces, I would regularly be approached by people who who would use these phrases and these disclaimers, and I would always stop them before they said the but. When they said, I know nothing about art, I would... I would stop them immediately and say, excuse me, but just before you go further with that, I would really like to point out that if you want to say something that you feel about this art, please just do that. Please don't put a disclaimer before it. Don't like dismiss what you're saying before you say it or suggest that you're 
feeling doesn't have any validity in the world. It's absolutely valid what you think and feel and know about the art that you're seeing in front of yourself, just like it's completely valid that you have a feeling about life, about what's unfolding in front of you, what other people are doing, what other people are saying, what's on TV even. You have an absolute divine rightness to express what is what it rouses in you, what you feel. And um, especially in terms of art, because usually what, what people are really feeling about modern art, about art in the modern world, and the way is art, 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 and I'm using art with a small a, with inverted commas or at either side of it, what most people are naturally feeling, they still have the natural sentience and they naturally feel this doesn't feel right. Instead of validating, giving value to their own feeling, they're first starting off with the premise because somebody has conditioned them in life and culture continues to condition them in life. They start out by disclaiming their own feeling and detaching from their own feeling and that's part of the anti-muse, that's part of how the whole container of the mo the modern presentation of art and in inverted commas is all about removing the typical, the average, the individual, the single human beingness, the divine co-creator, separating them from each other, separating them from source, separating from their divine creative flow that should be shining through them and making them beam like a, a big attractive light for anybody with less light to come be lit up by them. Um, I would imagine that for most people the anti-muse starts um, a, a very particular conditioning because we have sterile homes and have been sufficiently um, domesticated in how we approach our food. Um, we, a lot of children and most of the people who are alive in the world today have gone through some sort of um, denaturing conditioning, some sort of domestication conditioning, which means that as children they would have been possibly screamed at or even hit for coming in the house with wellies or shoes covered in mud. Um, they would have had a, a mother who was wound up to an extremely high state of tension because she was deeply, deeply traumatised by her birthing process, her education, her confusion about her own identity and her power as a woman in her marriage, etc, etc. So the little things like getting children, obsessively wiping children's hands so that they can't learn through their hands, so that they can't put their hands to their mouth and gain a, a functioning, activated immune system so that they can't taste the world. They can't connect mouth and internal flora and world. The That conditioning just builds and builds and builds. It accumulates in all the different areas, every movement of our foot, every movement of our hand, everywhere where we come into contact with nature, we get interrupted and then that is built upon 
that foundation that we start in a sterilised home is built upon further down the road after we've been fed for several years on sugar and possibly even caffeine before we've reached primary school and um, first school we we already if we haven't been deeply conditioned into being in a sterile environment at, once we get into the education system in inverted commas we certainly will be very heavily conditioned very quickly into eating pap drawing within the lines maybe even just coloring in not even drawing <laughs> Maybe just drawing, uh, colouring in colours between thick black lines. We might not even get colouring in. We might not even get to touch colours at school. Um, either way, it's very likely that at our, in our high school or secondary education, we might be profoundly less creative than we even were in our primary school education. And these conditionings create, like already at a young age, I've met many young children under the age of 10, even under the age of six, who are profoundly neurotic about cleanliness, about not making a mess and not getting dirty as they see it. And these are like just such core ideas that mean that 50 years later, 70 years later, we're still stuck in that part of us that says, I can't get dirt on the floor I can't get dirt on the walls I'm not allowed to colour outside the lines I, I shouldn't draw on the bench uh, the the bedpost I shouldn't draw on the wall in my room um if we haven't got a generous parent who's given us the space and a bit of free reign then it's entirely possible that that we might never have touched a paintbrush and never had that fluidity of colour and expression coming out from under us but whatever our setup is um, we most certainly, from a young age, will have at least some little ghost of a creature sitting on our shoulder saying, don't do that, don't do this. And it, because it's, like, pushed and pushed and promoted and promoted and played out in fables, cartoons, storybooks, films, we're so distracted with the overstimulation of our senses and at the same time, we're only taking in, we're only consuming through the senses, we're not expressing. A healthy human being needs to take in and release, probably to equal amounts. But of course, we're not doing that. We're just harvesting, harvesting, harvesting information, looking and looking and looking at things and listening and listening to words, songs, beats, drums. Um, intensely loud advertising and calls to action and eventually when one is so completely saturated effectively all one can do is just sit there immobile full and let it just keep pouring through and pouring through um, it's kind of a complete perversion of what an activated and living woman or a, an activated and living man is doing in their co-creative capacity where they're taking in very, very discreetly, subtly, on multiple different dimensions, but very selectively. They're very, very aware of what is toxic, as in what, what is not the right medicine for them just now, 
and what is medicine what is the right homeopathic medicine for them right now what is the thing that they need most that's going to allow the thing to move keep it moving um, let it express let it come to the surface and I think that the world of entertainment is profoundly entwined with this idea of the anti-muse. Um, we start to idolise maybe in our early teens where we're looking for an external guru, essentially. We're looking for a muse. We're looking for something that is going to activate us and take us through, like keep us company, a guardian angel even, keep us company as we go through the gateway into adulthood. And that doesn't come. It does not come. Instead, we get these packaged options, which are from dolls and outfits to these personas that we're told that we can be, that we see in advertising and in movie storylines and TV shows and pop stars, pop culture. And this anti-muse seems like the most seductive and glorious and coveted thing in the world. It just seems like, you know, I remember being absolutely enamoured with Madonna and Aha, uh, Morton Harkett and all these other folk who were blasting through the pages of the pop magazines I was looking at in my early teens. I remember putting posters of them on my wall and I remember going to a, my first really big concert and feeling that immersion of overwhelm, complete overwhelm with of feeling that was projected onto this person on the stage that I'd paid through the teeth a ticket to get and I, into this Wembley Stadium in London and this really scary adventure of going all the way down with a friend's dad on the train all the way from Scotland down to England to the heart of London and being in this big stadium like the the projection of my absolute power and purity and creative power all getting projected up onto the stage my room post plastered with posters all around it of Madonna and others who were taking my energy and pulling it into themselves like the images soaking it up rather than me being fully inspired by something um, rather than my creativity being pulled out of me um, in a way that it would manifest you know it was just pulled out of me like almost like a waste product getting pulled out my pores or something um, I think at that point the when the, the muse is objectified and turned into an idol and put on a stage and a pedestal and seen as something so far away, you know, it's quite often an American person, I'm a European person. I, I see their lifestyle in a big city in America completely different to my own, like it literally someone on the other side of the world in a completely radically different lifestyle. I'm in a cottage on a mountainside um, their life completely revolves around money and consumption and throwing money at things, throwing money at clothes, at hair, at makeup, at lifestyle. And 
that full-on um like subscription to that is something that then is adding in this extra layer onto how I was conditioned already to think that it's bad to be creative to think it's naughty to be creative to think it's at the least it's going to ruffle feathers and be distasteful but really it's it's associated with dirtiness and maybe badness and madness so getting into the drama of following celebrity is is a a kind of familiar comfort of distance, distancing ourselves from what the muse is what should be inspiring us which is everything all around us all the time um a, an activated human being a, a mature grown human being can make anything out of anything literally can take the scraps the old pieces of cut off wood and material and make something glorious and won't throw everything out won't consume and throw away things will save things and then make something ingenious out of it <clears throat> a, an activated human being a, a living human under natural law will will know that if they need something they just walk out in the world and, it, and they will find it they will attract it to them if there's a job that needs to be finished in the house there's a solution that will come it might take a car ride to buy a bag of cement or something but ultimately the stones will be found somewhere else the wood will be found somewhere else um you know even my the core of my art practice painting on old canvases that have been donated i've got a huge store of canvases now i'm looking around the room and sitting up in the back of the house i'm looking at all these things around me that are it's like my little storeroom with a canvas here, an old door that I'm going to paint on eventually there and making a painting, an old picture frame that I, I wanted to make into a doorway for another door that I want to close up, um, big lumps of wood from here, there and everywhere, some which will get turned into shelves, some which might form collectively into a bed or a seat. Um, a big painting right in front of me which is on the back of a wardrobe um, I've bought very few new things in my life because I've cultivated instead I haven't cultivated a job a career in the conventional sense I've cultivated my skills to discern to to see something and use it um, and the capacity to save a thing save it because I know I have a sense like even a psychic sense that in the future that will just be a perfect thing if I get this other thing and that other thing and then I go and buy some thread and string them all together it's going to be perfect um, but yeah the conditioned human will seek the inspiration through the anti-muse through the, the structure of the mind, body, spirit, cosmos completely separated and detached from each other and that anti-muse state means that by definition we can't we can't be switched on by what we're seeing in front of us we can't see the possibility in it it clouds our vision because we're not seeing through cosmos source linked down through mind body and spirit and all lined up fully and just whoom, the waves coming through the cosmic waves coming through and the clarity of vision coming through um, the anti-muse is 
a very literal structure in our being. It's a structure of detachment or of deconstruction. So maybe it's a deconstruction rather than a structure, a deconstruct rather than a struct, a struct <laughs> rather than a construction. But either way, it's it's fed and fed and fed and fed by even a crap diet, even antibiotics, even going to the doctor instead of being creatively capable of healing oneself, instead of knowing that the body is using a process to bring itself back into balance and we, we don't need external crutches or help or interference and we certainly don't need chemicals or pharmaceuticals to bring us back to wholeness. The wholeness is integral. The wholeness cannot be anything other than what it is and whatever our body's telling us, whatever our body's trying to tell us, whatever the body is raising its voice around, the anti-muse is that part of us which is telling us not to go with it, not to let it speak. It's sitting on it, sitting on the lid and the pot's boiling over, sitting on our shoulder and clamping its dark hands around our mouth, squeezing our throat and stopping us from just saying what we're thinking in that moment when someone's asking us, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Or what do you want to do? Um, I remember being in multiple situations with either partners or friends who I would ask this question of like, oh, what do you want to do now? Or which way do you want to walk home? Or uh, what do you want to eat? Or or what, what do you fancy doing? We've got this time together. Like, what should we do? You know, we could do anything. What should we do? And I'm, I'm looking for my muse to meet their muse. I'm looking for my inspiration to meet their inspiration, my energy to meet theirs and interweave and grow something together, create something like we could do anything right now. What should we do? And there's very few friends and partners who ever stepped up to that and and picked up the, not just the baton, but the the fabric, the um, the path, the the conversation. I've been so many times met folk who are so in the anti-inspiration cycle that they're they're literally completely stuck. I just keep I, I'm getting this flashback to um, being at the the grass market or just in front of Greyfriars Bobby statue uh, with a friend coming back from a night out at the pub in Edinburgh and. We're both going to similar bus stops and we could either walk down the upper road or the lower road and they're kind of 50 and half a dozen, six and half a dozen, 50-50. And so it doesn't really matter. I'm like, oh, so where do you want to walk then? Um, and I'll walk with you. And, and you know, the, the right answer would have been one way or the other it, it doesn't matter which way it is if if I'm ever stuck with a an option of like do I do this or do that and there's no clear answer that means that it, it doesn't matter which one I take so just take one but I, I literally stood for like three minutes or more it seemed like 
a lot longer. <laughs> and my friend just was like humming and hawing about which road to take. Almost the amount of time it would have taken to walk the road <laughs> to the bus stop until eventually, and I was saying, shall we just go? Let's just go. Let's just go. But she was like literally caught in a, in a complete um, spiral inwards of, oh, but, oh, I don't know if I should go up that way. And that to me is, is the creative dilemma. Like that's what happens when we're so uninspired and so unclear about our path that we literally can't see that it, it doesn't matter which path we take because we're like so completely tied up in analysing it first or thinking it through first or planning it, mapping it and and the map isn't, we don't have enough information for the map, maybe. But again, this this comes back to, oh, well, I should finish the story. Um, I, ju I'm, I just walked off and the friendship ended there because <laughs> I think my friend was really put out by me just walking off, obviously. But also I was just like, why am I hanging around with somebody that's so stuck in overthinking things that they literally can't decide between one street and the other which is going to the same place and they'll stand there for 10 minutes and think about it she's maybe still there now <laughs> um but yeah this is like that's such a to me that is such a living beautiful metaphor for how completely impossible it seems sometimes to be creative how the creativity just sort of rusts up as we're in the process of doing it it feels starts to feel clunky and we're trying to imagine how it will finish but we can't go forward with it because we can't see clearly how it will finish and therefore that's uh you know the anti-muse just like gets the claws come round the edge of the being and get between us and the painting or us and the garden or us and the the garment we're making and it's always a sign of being too much in the head almost always a sign of being too much in the head or or having like some if we're too much in the head it means that we're not somewhere else it means that we're detached from somewhere else and the head is so clever at convincing us, which is why we have little images like a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. The head is so clever at convincing us mentally through language and words and front lobe stimulation, overstimulation, convincing us that we're doing something that it thinks is right, but that isn't actually right for our body, our mind, our spirit and the cosmos and for all of us, basically. And this is, again, what I, I talk about this so much in the podcast of how the more you move into natural law, the more you just move into letting things unfold and moving with them, going with the flow even, the more you can't really go wrong. You might flare up here and there or step on someone's toes now and again, but you sit and you might come into conflict with authority in fact, you probably are very likely to come into conflict with authority because authority will try and step in various ways into your privacy, 
to take things from you that it doesn't have the right to take once you know what your rights are. And all these offers will come to you to engage and contract and be limited and be stolen from, essentially. And you will have to stand up and say, uh, no, thank you, I, I don't want to do that. And you'll have to find a way to, to do it in the moment, in that moment, in a way that's creative and not destructive and it isn't leading into conflict or rousing the psychosis of the psychopath who's trying to dictate to you how reality has to be, which involves you being a slave effectively and them being the tyrannical overlord. Um, not to bring drama into this, but it is dramatic. The, the drama that's going on consistently, like the drama of my, my indecisive friend who literally was immobile, unable to make a really simple decision about which road to take just to the bus stop, not even all the way home, but just to the bus stop. When, when none of that detritus is in the way of our actions, the action is kind of drawn out by, um, I don't mean drawn out um, like drawing with a pencil, drawing a line. Um, I mean drawn out like water is drawn out by heat out of the rock, by a process of evaporation. Um, a natural, subtle process of things moving in an elemental way and we just move with it when when we are fully activated and alive and free and sovereign there is no problem with um what to do today or where to go next or being bored like those things don't really enter because we can see the aliveness of everything and we can see the possibility in everything um and the structure that gets in the way of us doing that is always simply a, it's a very small trick. It's a really tiny little trick, but it's done like a billion times before we reach the age of consent. And it's done a billion times more after the age of consent. It's being done to us all day, every day. And if we're not questioning every time it's being done to us, then we, we remain completely passive within its grips and within the tyranny of our own anti-muse um, and under the weight of the collective anti-muse. And I was thinking today whilst I was washing the dishes here, I was really feeling, I, I have these little waves, like little subtle waves lapping at the shore that come, not like the big cosmic waves that come and like compel me to make something new or paint a particular image or um, charge down into the garden with a miniature sickle and start clearing a space in the jungle. Um, the little subtle waves that come are, are about what natural law is, what, what it means, how it manifests in my life. And the process of unlocking that is is everything to do with being inspired by the world and having muse, like us being muse to ourselves, rather than being led by an anti-muse. 
the anti-muse in so many ways is like the occult. It's like this dark, completely invisible figure, which is actually us in our cells, us in our energetic body, us in our meridians and chakras and irises opening and closing. It's every part of us. It's almost inalienable to us, but it's not our true nature. Doesn't matter how saturated we are with it. Doesn't matter how much it's it's seen as something completely real and tangible. Like people will defend to the death the fact that they believe themselves not to be creative. They will fight to the death to defend their consumerist lifestyle. They'll fight mentally and emotionally and verbally with someone like me who is trying to tell them that they're able to heal themselves, grow their teeth back, fix an organ, leave the rat race, live well without stress or straining. Um, they're able to be free without their children being stolen from them. They're able to put their art and their music out in the world without having to pay a great price of burden of of um, celebrity or being vulnerable in front of the public. The conditioning is so saturating that it's it can't really be separated just like that. Although I, I do believe that it can also. I, be, I do believe that a miracle can be obtained quite easily, actually, by be, by someone being fully open to letting go of it all. But for the most part, the anti-muse is something that seems like if I say that I'm not a creative person, if I repeat that mantra every time I see an artwork, every time I talk to an artist, every time... I see someone being creative if I say words to the effect of oh but I couldn't do that or you can only do that because you're special or they can only do that because they're rich or they've got these opportunities or they know the right people and so on and um, those phrases that phrase of I can't do it is is becomes the body becomes the tense body that doesn't move its hand with a paintbrush and colour on the paintbrush on a canvas. It's the the hand that does work that it doesn't enjoy in order to get dollars, in order to go and buy cheap clothing made in a sweat factory and that doesn't fit correctly and that is synthetic and makes us sweat in the summer and doesn't make us feel glorious and powerful and beautiful and everybody is fucking saturated with this everybody is is like dark with it you know dark and and like in the shadows occulted with it everybody has like a whole occult anti-muse within them that they think is their own incapacity but it absolutely is not it's their own conditioning that they have chosen to not turn away from, to not turn inside out, to not do anything about. 
And the thing about a long, long term, like a lifelong term in in a um, discipline like something is as completely free as painting something like a musical instrument or a dance form or or just moving the body just yoging naturally the thing about a, a specific discipline though where you're creating an object that has beauty is a window into the soul and out of the soul and into the universe and is a profound deep play of both expression and mastery of the materials and playfulness and you know real like deep embodied fun the thing the thing about having a practice like that is eventually because every time we approach the canvas or approach the whatever our art form is every time our hands start up and start moving we have to contend with the anti-muse. We have to contend with it. We have to face it. Not just whilst we're making the thing, not just at the most difficult point in the last few percentage of a project where we have to push through and push through and push through. Not aggressively, not destructively, but just push through knowing that we can do it even when part of us is really shouting loudly that we can't we can't do it it's ugly it's crap you don't know how to sew you don't know how to paint you you're subservient to this person who is better than you and there's no point in you trying etc etc whatever the demons are or the the wild animal that we haven't tamed is that is in us that tells us not to create tells us to stop and give it up it's really powerful to to listen to our body and listen to what the body is really saying about that it might there might even be like a backache or a headache or a, a sick stomach or a tight chest or like really sore elbows or a skin rash that comes up because our body's trying to express something and if we don't get out the way of it and let it express it will have to express in a more Is it it's the word obtuse in a more obtuse way, in a more graphic way, in a more material way? Like if we're not working consistently, spontaneously, expressing through all of our actions, our voice, if we're not expressing truth and expressing ourselves and unlocking whatever's stagnant in ourselves and letting it flow through our actions and deeds and thoughts and words all lined up all lined up beautifully in harmony in in a straight line you know straight expression from source through me up through my body and fountaining out if we're not doing that then it's stuck somewhere and that stuckness is so cultured into the norm that most people are tired, lethargic, uninspired, um, not creative, in inverted commas, like, do you know where your creativity is going? When when we say that we're not creative, it's going into creating not being creative. 
That's how powerful we are. But not only is it doing that, it's also occulting within ourselves, like hiding within ourselves, all the riches, all the natural inheritance, all the infinite power, the literal physical energy, the the warmth that should be flowing through our body, the pleasure that should be flowing through our body, that then would have been turning into beautiful actions of making things, solving problems, healing each other, putting our hands on our animals and healing them, etc., etc., etc. The anti-muse is, is such a... You know, it's kind of like the villain in the cartoon or the vampire in the movie or, you know, the werewolf, the Frankenstein, whatever, the, the character, the bad guy, the anti-hero, the anti-muse, you know, like the guy in Breaking Bad is like the... We're so conditioned to be passively watching a thing externally on a screen in a book or the equivalent on a screen um, through a song we're inspired to disembody our own creative power, light and energy and inspiration into these figures that are either we're either adoring them on a stage or we're hating them on a screen. But whatever we're doing, we're pouring our creative energy into that, into passively accepting a pre-written story by somebody else, which is their creativity, their story, their powerful imagination, their ability to put something together on a screen their capacity to dance and sing and be controversial. And we're so tangled up in it, like all these threads that connect us to celebrities and film stars and the ideas that run through TV series, etc., etc. Et um, all of it. We're, we're like entangled in it energetically, our, the threads of our being, instead of having a really solid taproot into the earth and up into the heavens and us being this beautiful, inalienable link between the two, this antenna, instead we're like the beautiful crystalline structures of the antenna are instead pulled apart as like dead little threads that are tied onto the threads of these celebrities or songs or films or ideas outside of ourselves. And just the fact of hating on a celebrity through social media or the fact of, of agreeing to think of the bad guy as the bad guy in, I don't know, Game of Thrones or such like, all of it is taking threads of our attention and threads of our action and our energy and consciousness and separating them and attaching them to certain symbols, words, ideas, objects, labels, 
magical objects, tools. It, it's all magical. All of it is magical. And the anti-muse is the condition of not knowing that we are creating our reality, both passively, but also because we're doing it passively, we're actually allowing the reality around us to be completely controlled by other forces that are completely nefarious. That's why it really does take very few people to change the world, radically change the world. Very few people. Because the power of someone, one person, one being, to stand amongst that sea of confusion and to stand completely strong and rooted and shining and to not lose one en one's energy, one's attention, not to be lured by the muse or the icon or the false muse or the false icon, the anti-muse. To stand in that and not waver, almost like the eye of the storm, allowing the elements to swirl around us and just standing completely clear and clean of it all and letting it swirl around. Maybe seeing the cleaning power of a storm, cleansing and transformative power of a storm, even the transformative power of that part of creative force that needs to clean things and begin all over again, wipe the slate clean and begin again, scrape the paint off the canvas, cut the paint, cut the canvas out and put a new one on the board, on the frame. Yeah, I never really liked the idea of a muse because it always seemed really like objectifying something, limiting it to a person or a thing. But the concept, the very healthy concept of inspiration always really worked for me. I always felt that the muse was something like, like the icon or the guru. It was something that was an artificial distraction and something that would ultimately mean that whatever whatever power we were giving away to them, whatever authority we were giving to them, we were not taking it for ourselves. And I feel that I feel that, that is like back in more innocent times in the nineteen seventies, when I was wee and I, I had some innocence still, even through all the things I went through as a kid, I, I still kept innocent and I still like saw it as a, as a right. I, I knew that it was a right thing, that it felt right and that I should remain innocent. And I still do now at, at 50, I still like really feel strongly that it's okay for me to not understand something and to just say, oh, I don't know what that means. And do you want to tell me in your words what it means to you and see if I can glean something from it? I love being able to be honest about how I feel in each moment and I've always felt from a young age that that's like that's how it's meant to be <laughs> we're not meant to be armoured and rigid and pretending to be something we're not the more we're just fully ourselves the more it 
truth can come through us. But the anti-muse is, is this energy of, of complete obfuscation, of us being, you know, arriving in, I don't know what age, middle age is meant to be nowadays. <laughs> or the, but the thing that people used to call, I don't know if they still call it, I don't really talk to mainstream people much, but um, the midlife crisis, the idea that one could live all these years and decades, I don't know if it used to be 50 or something, or I think in, in my mind as a child, it was middle age was 45 or 50. It would be like half your life and you were going to live to be 100 or 90 or something. But the idea that was impregnated into us in our little innocent minds when we're small, and of course not just our minds, but our mind, body and spirit, was this idea that we were, at that age, you, you kind of go mad and depressed because you've lived all these years and you haven't figured out what life's about. <laughs> um, and you haven't got any joy in life, maybe, or certainly not, you're not, like, thoroughly inspired all day, every day, and and living in your body well and loving your food and loving your house and loving your creative process. And of course, it's like the mythology around um, menopause, which we're told in every which way, we're poked and prodded until we do stop bleeding, we do stop having access to our blood rituals and life and power in our blood and wisdom that comes through our bleeding every month. Eventually, yeah, eventually we do. Of course we get menopause because we're so distorted in how we're projecting energy onto our womb that isn't healthy. Of course, if we were sitting down too much during the day and we're not stretching our spine and our sinews and tendons and beautiful muscles and meridians and and so on. Of course, if we're not speaking the truth through an open throat or clearing the womb every month through an open cervix, of course, if we're not flexible and able to bend in the wind, as it were, of course, rigidity will set in and of course, things will wind, in, wind down. The more our body is rigid, the more our liquid systems and our tendons are rigid of course we're going to get arthritis of course we're going to get cancer of course you know rigidity is dis-ease it's discomfort it's lack of pleasure so yeah if we're if we're not willing to really acknowledge and and observe in ourselves the totality of our our darkness and of our anti-muse of our occulted power if we're not willing to look at our relationship with all things, with especially with systems, hierarchies and external sources of, quote, inspiration and power. If we're disgusted by breathing in or if we're disgusted by thinking about our womb or our pelvis or our organs, if we have words in our mind that is effectively a mantra that's saying oh I'm worried I've got this disease I'm worried I've got this disease I'm worried da, 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 da. 
if we're not beaming and enlivened by simple things and overjoyed at eating a strawberry in the garden, I've st my strawberries are still growing like profusely. They're a wee bit less now, but I've got these um, Fragole del Bosco little strawberry plants that I actually planted them 13 years ago when I first came to Sergio's garden and they were a wee bit down lower and I brought them up. I made some more soil where there wasn't soil before. There was just sort of rocks, rubble. I made some soil by putting lots of leaf litter and piles of compost on a particular bed and then I put lots of uh, the plant, the wee plants. Well, I put a handful of the wee strawberry plants. I think last year or the year before, maximum two years ago, and this year it's just a mat of strawberries in a, a square meter of a mat of strawberries, and the amount of fruits I've never seen anything like it in my life. Not for a week or a month, not for two months. I think it's been about four months that they've been fruiting strawberries continuously. I'm probably exaggerating because I tend to exaggerate to express my enthusiasm for what's happening <laughs> and my joy at getting the strawberries and their their perfume is just so delicious. Oh my gosh. Wild strawberries, but cultivated, but wild. And the garden's wild enough to keep them a wee bit wild, but they are getting bigger. They're growing. They're not like nothing like the cultivated strawberries that you buy that are genetically selected and so on. But they're definitely much bigger than an average um, certainly bigger than Scottish alpine strawberries. But they're they're really good size, you know, like the size of my thumbnail, which is I've got quite thick fingers and thumbs. And just the the beauty of them is just extraordinary. Um and I was documenting, I can go and check on my, my post on the hive about how long ago I posted um, about, oh, the strawberries have just come out and I'm picking loads of them. I actually ate so many that I couldn't eat them all. I'm sure that was at least two or three months ago. But anyway, we're in July now and they're still going strong. So that, being literally in ecstasy, eating a strawberry in the garden, even whilst a mosquito was biting my feet, and even while the cat's getting between me and the strawberries and rubbing all around me and being really annoying and meow, meow, meowing for biscuits. <laughs> the moment of beauty of that moment. Um, yeah, it's just like the the tonic, the the thing that means that there's no, there's nothing for the anti-muse to grip onto. But even though I still... There's an essence of something that comes along. There's something very deep that comes along. When I'm getting to the end of a project in particular, when it's time to tie up a project, especially in a new area like this year of mastery of needlework that I'm doing. Oh, and man, I'm wrestling with it and I'm, I'm overexcited about finishing and I'm kind of rushing to get the last bits and I'm not taking as much care as I should which is a real sign of an anti-muse getting in there. And then I'm really pissed off that my it's not how I wanted it to be. I, w I wanted it to be much more neat. I wanted it to be much more perfectly fitting. It's still perfectly fitting, but oh no, I, I want it to be more form-fitting and 
flattering and have a nice silhouette and this is just a bit clunky and it's too high up and under the bust and uh the the buttonholes are nowhere near as neat as they should have been and I, I did a sort of half half professional buttonhole like it's a full buttonhole but it's only half professionally done <laughs> i.e it's quite unprofessional and I'm all like peeved about it because it's sort of wrinkling about the button instead of sitting neatly on the button and uh, and I, I rushed the sewing whilst I was also watching a film at the same time and didn't concentrate as much on the you know I kept looking up from the sewing and was getting distracted and it, like that is the anti-muse to me that's you know I could have done a much better job and then I would have a much better dress it, it actually is an, an amazing dress it's beautiful um, you can see it on my Hive post, um, part two of making a, a beautiful new blue dress from an apron, uh, not from an apron, no, uh, from an old sheet. Um, really proud of it. It does look splendid and it's perfectly functional for what I want it to do, where I go with it, up to the shop and back, down to the garden and back. And very practical covering my feet so the mosquitoes and the gnats don't get in there and bite behind my knees and ankles but yeah there's always another level to take it to and I love the art of my life I love the art of always improving you know I'm not going to settle with just being an average painter or an average dressmaker or any of that I always want to be at the edges of things and moving into expansion and yeah to do that you cannot do that without completely dismantling what the anti-muse is and what the the conditioning has been between us and everything else and again this it's not just taking apart what's locked into our cells but it's also the thing that's locked into ourselves, that's occulted, that's hidden from us, that we believe is something else outside of us, or we believe is a an abstract concept like a dis-ease. Once it's dealt with, once it's removed, once that obfuscation is reversed, then the world becomes alive. All the stagnant and boring things become vital and inspiring. And we start to recognise that our energy extends out into everything and we can also be informed by everything. It's not far off how they presented life in the Avatar film, the first one. It's even more magical though. And... Yeah, I don't know. Is that incentive enough for someone to want to do it? <laughs> it was for me. Anyway, this is my last minute. I'm going to get cut off um, because I'm recording this through the Signal app as a voice message. <laughs> if you want to follow my work and support it, please come and join me on Patreon or on The Hive. I'd love to connect with you on The Hive. We've got all kinds of amazing communities there. My website is clairegaiasofia.com. C-L-A-R-E-G-A-I-A Sophia with a P-H dot com I love you 
I'm really glad to be sharing this with you and I'm really honoured by your witness. Love. Ciao.